This season on Three Things, we're zoning in on one theme, peak performance. What does it take to achieve greatness? How do you maintain it? And how do you continually find areas to improve in every area of your life? People are driven by different things. To me, the great peak performers out there are the people that are driven by this notion of there's always another gear. There's always a way to get better. It's two people, 20 minutes, and three things with Rick Elias. Abby Wambach is a soccer legend. She's won two FIFA World Cups, two Olympic gold medals, and she currently holds the world record for all-time international goals scored among men and women. On top of that, she's a fierce champion for equal pay and a New York Times bestselling author going viral with her book, Wolfpack. We're doing something different with this episode. For those of you who like to keep things short and sweet, you can find a 20-minute edit focused solely on peak performance in our podcast feed and at threethings.redventures.com. But right now, you're listening to the full 40-minute conversation, which includes how Abby's fighting for equal pay, how she's finding forgiveness through parenting, and much more. This is Three Things with Abby Wambach. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Abby Wambach with us. I am so excited. You know why? Abby, I am excited because anytime I get to talk to somebody who is the world's best at something, <laughs> I'm just like, you know what, that is yes. so unique. So let's start there. You are the all-time goal scorer, men, women, doesn't matter, uh, in international soccer. Yeah. What's that like? Um, It's amazing. You know, I think that it gives me um, some credibility when I step on stages now. But interestingly enough, there is a Canadian woman who is right on the heels and on the cusp of of breaking my record. So um, I'm excited for her, right? Do you know her? I do. I do. And she's she's played for Team Canada, um, which obviously I'm hoping one of my teammates will beat her record when she eventually uh, overtakes mine. But that's the whole point, you know, records and stuff. I know my impact. I know what I was able to give to the, the team. And it's just nice because now when I get into arguments with my children, I'm like, shut up. I'm the world record holder of goal scored. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to find something else. Eventually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've been talking to so many elite uh, competitors at, in every different sport. And, you know, I've, I've been really thinking people are even they're driven by one of three things i think you're driven by beating somebody Mm. muhammad ali Mm. you know just wants to kind of stand on top of sonny liston or you're you're driven by fear right and the fear of failure or you're driven maybe by the you know trying to improve on yourself Mm. which of those three are you i don't want to say all three but i feel like because i think when i was in it when i was a, a competitor while i was playing I think that I was driven by not knowing, by that third one, by kind of always wanting to improve. Mm. Um, you know, it's this romantic love affair that I felt that I had with the game for all the time that I played with it. I didn't love it all the time. Mm. But um, this concept of not ever knowing what your peak is, this idea of not knowing, even if you know on a daily basis that you gave everything that you could, it's like, what else is there? I mean, and now with technology and now with um, the, the new science that is that is in our modern sport culture. Right. Um, I mean, I probably would would be dri- would drive myself even crazier now because I was so into it when I was a player. But that idea of always trying to make gains and the regeneration process is just so much more intricate nowadays. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was always the driver. And I always knew that if, if I didn't focus on the winning part and I focused on the process, the winning came 
as a byproduct of the process um, and committing to that process every day. You know, I talk to some really successful people um, and, and most of which are like, look, the reason why I'm successful is just because I didn't give up. Mm. You know, I didn't quit. So many people try and then they quit. And, and longevity had a lot to do with my success. I just wasn't, I just wasn't turning my back on myself. Um, and always wanting to make those strides and make those gains was, was a huge driver for me in my peak. Did you ever seriously consider retiring along the way? Yeah. So in 2008, I broke my leg the last game before we were heading over to China for the Olympics in, in Beijing. And, um, and so my team went without me. Um, I was, had to have surgery uh, I was a leading goal scorer and, and I said all the right things to the team. And I was like, you know, um, you can do this. You can win without me. And I, at the time, I think I tried to believe it, but I, there was a part of me that was like, there's no way. Well, they won without me. Them bitches. That did not. That brought you. <laughs> yeah. Were you rooting against them? No, of course I wasn't. I was totally rooting for them. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a part of my nope, ego sure. that was like a little bit butthurt that, yeah, that they were able to go do it without me. Um but I think that what that that time taught me, because you know, I I broke my tib and my fib. I have a titanium rod that's like 1.2 pounds that's inside of my tibia right as we speak, oh. um, and the recovery of that was brutal. Um, the doctor says between six and 12 months, and so of course I was like, my mindset was like, I'm going to get back in six months. Right. Well, I was playing soccer at six months, but I was the worst soccer player that ever was at six months. And I got back to myself around 12, 12 months, um, like the doctor said. And I think that that, that was a time where I never really 100% considered retiring, but I wondered if the if I couldn't play anymore, mm. right? Like it wouldn't have been my choice or up to me. Um, so I remember a lot of that recovery was spent a little bit afraid of my production going down, a little bit afraid of my body responding in the way that I hoped it would. Cause you never know, right. like you just never really know. Um, and I, and I was able to get through it, but I was never really the same player. You know, I was, I was pretty reckless before this point. So I think I smartened up a little bit and, and after that injury, um, and I think that that would be the only time that I really considered retiring from the national team. Nutrition, sleep, taking care of yourself. Yeah. How, you know, it's, it's, it all seems to have changed so much in the last even five years. Yes. Right. And, and yes. all this load management thing and yes. all this stuff. Right. What was the cutting edge then? Yeah. So throughout my career, I was always trying to be on the cutting edge of stuff. Um, re regeneration was just starting to be a, a buzzword as I was kind of walking out and, and, and leaving the game. Um, you know, things like cryotherapy right. was just starting out, um, things like tapering into a, a big event, you know, back in the, when my, in the early days in the national team for me, um, our coach had a philosophy that we were just going to be the fittest team in the world, which we were, but we were terrible. Like we were the most physically dominant team in the world. And that was a, a good philosophy at the time because the other teams in the world were not very good at soccer. Um, and then if we could just pound on other teams, like that allowed us to win many tournaments. Um, but now the game has grown so much that, that you actually have to be good at soccer. So infiltrating like actual soccer stuff into our women's national team has been really important. I mean, the diet fad, I never really worried about my diet. Um, I think now 
you know, some of the players are vegan on our women's national team, which has worked well for them. I couldn't imagine having done that. But I I mean, I just watched this, this Netflix documentary the other day called the game changers. And, um, this idea that animal protein is just this mindset that, that we as athletes think that we need, but actually like plant protein is just as effective, you know? Um, and much better for uh, climate change. Yeah, of course it is, right? So, you know, for me, so much has happened. I think the science of it, of um, the training, one of the things that our women's national team, and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, but um, for the first time ever, our women's national team started to focus a lot of their training around their menstrual cycles. That makes sense. Um, and it's crazy that it's never happened before. So this last World Cup, every single player knew where they were in their cycle throughout the entire world cup um and and in order to be at your optimal performance that is one thing that nobody really talks about but if you are literally on your period during a world championship that is a mind fuck like that is like that's crazy it's like oh god this is so annoying like and also you're losing blood a lot of injuries more injuries occur and so they're they actually started to do this research six months out before the world cup that even though there were three women that were bleeding during the final one of which scored a goal um they were able to actually overcome it because of the research and and the information and the science behind um the the women's national team and and their their doctors and and everything it's it's been really fascinating and it's just going to keep growing for women because all of the programming that you see and that i went through was based on what what men went through right Right, what worked for guys but women's bodies are just different and um they're finding that out now which is cool i was talking to some nba coaches the other day friends of mine and they're saying that they're now monitoring players and they can uh fairly accurately predict the risk of injury before it happens so interesting how cool is that yeah the there's um i forget what they're called but like one of the most uh, amazing things i know that they gave them to all like the chelsea football players and they put them, they set these guys up at their home and they would basically have to lay down and put these these monitors on them for like three minutes every day mm. and it could um it could understand it gives it like a base idea of like where they are like in their training so their heart rates how their heart rates are like the blood the way that these these patches are the way that the science of this actual thing was it's like super cool so by the time these guys they'd lay down in the morning and hook themselves up to this this contraption and by the time they got to the training fields, their entire program was set up for them because their whole training staff got their numbers, saw where their heart rates were, saw if they were overtrained or undertrained. And then they, because of that, the individual training regimens that get created, um, you know, that's the thing that, that I think has changed the most over the last 10 years is um, the idea that one player one one person on the team like that like one program is just false every person is different different. and what their requirements for that player is going to be different for whatever their role is on the team you know and to geek out here for a second what's going to happen is as more and more players get tracked the data sets will get bigger and bigger and more accurate and then they'll be able to even tailor that information even more so right cool. this is like 10 years from now so cool. like be, we're so all gonna cool. have a little chip we're like okay yeah i mean and look like we were hooked up to all the things heart rate gps yeah, and yeah. our coaching staff and, and our training staff they were creating and, co- and and collecting data points that would allow them to understand specifically 
what would give us the percentage point chance of winning certain games. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the way that the way the games get clipped out now and filmed, you can figure out, you can know how many times you've entered in your into your offensive third and how many times those offensive third entries turn into goal scoring chances. Now, the way that we they were sorting it out, and this is years later, so I'm sure it's even m- much more like scientific, um, but we were like, if we can get into our attacking third eight times a half, that'll give us a percentage, this what an 85 percentage chance of beating this team, no matter right, who we right, play, right. because here's, here, you know, so for me, it's like, I know that it's much more scientific now and more specific, and it's like, that's how science can interface and, and interact with a sport that has human beings playing it and right. allows you right. that kind of edge, which is so, it, it might be the difference between winning and losing, truly. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about setbacks, challenges, failures, whatever you want to call it. I'm really curious as to, you know, when you look back at your career, what's your relationship when things didn't work out? How did you internalize them? I have a unique ability. I don't know if it's the leader in me. I don't know if it's the youngest child in me, but I have a unique ability to not react when something bad happens. um, I have an ability to kind of sink into it and kind of everything slows down and I can see the path out. Um, Oftentimes the path out is the hardest, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes the path out is I fucked up. Mm -hmm. I made this mistake. Um, Some sort of acknowledgement, apology, uh, amends, however you want to define that. Um, And it's like, and then an ownership of, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure that this moment never happens again. Mm. Right. Because I don't think that, especially now in our cancel culture that we live in, you say the wrong thing and you're out. I think that that's crap. I think that that is the political engine doing its thing to try to get what it wants normal human beings those of us who don't live in the political administration or the world of politics we need to operate differently mm-hmm. we need to say you know what i messed up here and i'm going to do some some education on this right so for me i've gone through a total transformation in the way that i interface and, and operate in my life um because i was br- brought up and raised in an awesome family but that family and that structure was mine and it was also riddled with a ton of stuff sexism racism just because that was the way that I was raised in the time that I was raised in the city that I was raised in the schools that I went to so it's like how for me I think about the failures of of my life and getting truly honest with yourself um is one of the hardest things a person can do Mm. because especially when you have heartbreak or you go through a divorce or for me, I got a DUI, like it was really hard for me to get really truly honest, to get to the truth of it. My wife and I, we always say, what is the truth of this? Because we're, we're upset about this thing, Mm -hmm. but this is not it. Mm -hmm. This is not it. There's a truth. There's a truth of your truth that we need to get to the bottom of. And what is that? And like, let's work on that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that fear of dot, 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 right, prevents people from truly experiencing life in a beautiful, mm. uncompromised way because we make decisions and, and, and too many of us make decisions based on fear of mm-hmm. rather than, well, what if, mm-hmm. right? Like for me, I'm like, I think of it, I'm a dreamer, right? So 
I have the I, I have the ability to go there and to get woo woo and all that stuff. But when it comes to failure, the number one thing that I have always learned is when you mess up, say you've messed up, make amends somehow, apologize, and do whatever you can to make sure that you don't repeat that. Right. Like for me, and, and a lot of times, you know, the most suffering I have had has been self-inflicted on things that I have been refusing to fix. Failures that I've made that I've refused to really truly want to fix the, the root cause or the root right. reason for the problems that, that or the failures that I've been uh, experiencing. So um, I don't know. I think that the, the failures of our lives are the biggest gifts and clues, you know, like what does Oprah say? She says, um, look, look out for the whispers, right? Because otherwise the world and the life that you live will, will send you certain whispers. Mm. And if you don't listen to those whispers, life will, will throw you a brick in your face. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. Totally. The opposite of love is indifference. Yeah. Oh, in, indifference. Right? Well, so the opposite of failure, the opposite of failure is not trying. Good. Right? I love that. Yeah. So it's probably well, something to that. My wife says, um, the opposite of what does she say? She's like, I think love is just the opposite of control. And she has a controlling problem. Let's be honest. <laughs> Did you get to the root of that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because she's a she's she's a smaller woman in terms of her physique and her experience in the world is 100% different than mine based right. on just our bodies. So, for her, she is more prone to fear and um needing to gain some control because she doesn't have that ability with her physical um body, literally. Mm. Right? So, in fact, somebody um the other day walked up to us on the street and and it was a man and he said I, I mean no harm and we both walked away from that experience and I thought that was so that was so unnecessary for him to 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 need to say I, I mean no harm she said quite frankly I wish that every man that walked up to me would say I mean no harm dot 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 and That's it just interesting and it just goes to show you how different of my life experiences hmm. to my wife's and how, you know, this, we don't need to make this about my wife's control um, because it's, that's her work and her challenge, but it's all based on how our experience and perspectives are different mm -hmm. based on literally the bodies we were given mm -hmm. and the way that we interact with our lives and the family that we were brought and raised up in. Um, super interesting though. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And let's go quickly into this topic. Um, I know that the, the medals that you display in your house are not necessarily the gold medals. Um, yeah. Why? Yeah. So I came up with this theory, this philosophy um, of, of making failure your fuel because I think that too often, especially in the culture of women, women don't feel like they are even offered any opportunities to fail. Um, and, and for me, everything good in my life has actually happened from and has come directly from a specific failure. So for me, these these third place medals um, are a reminder, right? I think that it is so important to keep score. It's a it's it's real not in relationships, by the way, but like in my life, I like to track things. I like to celebrate my wins and I also like to honor the times where I didn't win because the things that happened directly after that stuff 
um, the fallings, the falling downs, the the not getting the promotion. However, you you want to define your your specific failure, that is what you define your character as. Mm-hmm. So, who are you when? things go poorly because that that is that is really truly the definition of character it's not who are you when things go well right right? right, it's like who are you when the shit hits the fan and how do you respond to that because over time throughout my career the response was something that i had to work through the response was something that was in my control so i'm always in the business of trying to take back as much control as i possibly can and leave nothing to chance right so the idea of holding and, and honoring these third place medals is my way of remembering because my, and, and I don't need to train for soccer anymore, but my way of remembering, oh, like I am failable. Oh, even though I am successful, I need to keep working. Oh, and here are moments as a reminder uh, to keep you grounded, to keep you present, right. to keep you real, right? Because otherwise, like, you know, like you can be around all these famous people and wealthy people and successful people and you can literally lose yourself. And I think that we have to attach ourselves to the times what, that make us feel most human. And that's what, that's what failure does. It, you know what is really cool is you actually have given the word failure a different definition than most. Mm-hmm. Because for so many people, failure is almost terminal or it's, you know, for you is more like, you know, the setbacks are part of the journey of success. Yeah. Evidence. Right? Yeah, yeah. Failures yeah, yeah. are yeah. just evidence. You're on your way. Totally. And it's like, you know, I think that I think that we all could use a good shellacking as it comes to this word, because what is really failure? Like, and does it really matter? It doesn't. It's like, oh, this is evidence of what not to do. Right. Or how or gives me evidence of knowing that I need to change things up or or gives me evidence like maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing here. Maybe I need to like actually focus some attention and do it over here. That's cool. All right. Last question around soccer and then we'll we'll pivot a little bit. Fun. Um, if you could play one game of your whole career game, not, not a not a not a score, not any, a game, a game where you like felt alive where you felt completely Mm. in the moment where you felt you know like you were living the glory of the game you do you have one i do um so i gotta give a little bit of preliminary understanding around this so i was on the cusp of breaking mia ham's record so i was sitting on like 156 goals and she maybe 155 goals I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. Um, She had the record at 158 and I needed to score 159. And our game, we were playing South Korea in Red Bull Arena in New York City or just outside. And um, one of my friends, he decided to fly my entire family, unbeknownst to me, to the game. Now, I would have to score three goals to tie the record, right? And uh, four goals to break the record. So hours before the game, I get a phone call. Your family's coming. I just flew them in. He flew them in on a private plane. None of my family had ever flown on a private plane up until this point. Luckily, they lived like in Rochester, so it wasn't too far. Um, He said, so I'm going to need you to score all the goals tonight. So you're going to have to break the record tonight. And I was like, it doesn't work like this. Like, this is not how the world works. I don't know about this, you know? So the game starts and, um, you know, my family's up in the box and they're just like, 
we don't know what's happening. They've just gotten on a plane and they're at the game. Um, and I get a breakaway the first like five minutes of the game and I miss. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is terrible. You're jinxed. This is not, this is not going well. Right. right? And um, the rest of that half, I end up scoring three goals in that half. Mm. And um, I score another goal um, along the way. I ended up scoring four goals that night and I broke the record. My whole family was there. I mean, I. it's like, it was a dream. It was a dream. It wasn't even That's like I was cool. playing good soccer. It was just like something else was happening right. that day that was above me or below me or it was just, I was beside myself and the game was, honestly, maybe my teammates were sick of talking about this world record that needed to get broken. <laughs> so, cause literally every single time they got the ball, they passed it to me in the box. Uh. Um, <laughs> And I was, you know, I was really grateful that. Did you say, hey, can we do that more often? Right. You know? <laughs> Why don't you pass to me more? <laughs> I mean. Look at the data. Exactly. <laughs> when you pass to me, we score. <laughs> Duh. Let's do this. Um, so, yeah, that would be a game that I think of fondly. And um, cool. I'm so glad that my teammates helped me out that day. That's for sure. All right. Let's dig in into something that I know you are super passionate about in um I care deeply kind of leading an organization like Red Ventures, which is equal pay. Um, you have been a, a real uh, voice for this. Um, I, w I wanna hear your thoughts. Well, I think as it relates to our women's national team. So when I retired, I had the experience of getting an award along with Kobe Bryant and Peyton Manning. And it really shed a huge light on the difference of what they made and what I made mm. and unfortunately for me it came too late my career was over my my earning potential for in career during career was over um, so was my control of being able to affect real change when I was inside of it I think oftentimes women find themselves um, inside of their institution or structure and afraid to say too much or to say anything at all mm -hmm. because they don't want to lose their jobs, right? Uh, so of course, early on in my retirement, I thought I should have done more when I was in it, when I had more control of the outcome. And I decided that night of the ESPYs when, when I was having like a breakdown in my hotel room wondering what the hell just happened, how did I get here, that I was gonna do whatever I could for the rest of my life to make sure that this problem no longer Hmm. exists and i know that it's going to be a long road and i know that um many things need to happen between now and that f between now and then uh for the whole world but our women's national team is in a really unique position um, and they've positioned themselves in such a way that um it's truly discrimination what uh, has right, what, right. what what has been happening and not for all of time because i will give u.s soccer credit they have invested more money than any other federation in the, on the planet uh, into their women's program. And the reason why our women's program is so successful is because right, of that right, investment, right, right, right? Right, right, right? So why stop, right? Why stop investing? It doesn't make real sense. You know, and, and big debates uh, have evolved out of this, this controversy, if you could call it that. The number one thing that men uh, and women quite frankly, think and say is, well, the men's national team earns more sponsorship dollars through TV rights uh, and through sponsorships that, that sign on to want to um, be a part of the U.S. Soccer Federation. 
they earn men's team earns more than the women's team and in 2016 the women's team started to out earn the men's national team hmm. so for the last three or four years our women's team has actually been the earners the earners uh, that are and they still make less and we still make less no yes so that's where the big debate once and for all right we can, right right we can stop actually having it really actually should just stop there but i've got more don't worry the other thing we have to think about <laughs> is the 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 initial investment. So in all of the over the world, I get to ask this question a lot. Well, you know, U.S. soccer is a nonprofit venture. Their their goal isn't to just grow the game for men's soccer. Their goal is to grow the game of soccer in the United States. So that funding needs to be divvied up equally, right? Uh, but there's a word in the mission statement of U.S. soccer is they use the word equitable. And for all of time, since uh, up until 2016, the men have out-earned the women's team. So they were, they were, in our minds, in negotiation tables that we had to, to get our CBAs done, we understood, okay, the men make more money than we do. Maybe we don't, right? But the problem is the men have never placed in the top three of any championship for any world championship. And our women's team, up until 2016, we had never placed out of outside of the top three. So there's a lot of debate, but for me, it's called this initial investment, this compounding interest mm -hmm. of, of popularity. So when we invest in, um, let, let me give you an example. In 1994, the MLS started and the MLS owners decided, there were a few of them, they decided we're going to invest hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And we know we're gonna lose that right off the bat. We know in order to build this thing, it's going to cost a bunch of money, but we're going to do it because we see a long-term plan and potential for growth. Mm -hmm. Now, that initial investment never, ever has been given to not just our women's team, but women ever in the world, period. That initial investment is not given to women. Hmm. Our women's national team, we are, we are given pennies in comparison. And then you think about, you know, to get into the MLS now, it's like a 120 or $130 million tag just for one team to buy in. I think it's gonna be over 200, it's, the next one. It's, it's Charlotte is on the list. Yeah, it's incredible, right? right? And thinking about that, like it just makes my mind, it blows my mind because that same kind of investment early days is not given to the right. women. So everybody always asks me, it takes so long for the women's teams to get popular. It's like, because well, nobody's giving the money. Right, right, right. Like right. they do the men's team. Um, and then the other thing that I, you know, the, the, the marketing, the idea that first of all, our women's team wins, right? you know, it's crazy. And, and, and these women are able to, to, to change con like the culture, the consciousness of people right. that they're not just women soccer players. They're like champions yeah. period. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I just, I, I think that it's high time for U.S. soccer to do the right thing. So what's the right thing? So you seem, what I've enjoyed in this conversation is, you know, someone who can see the other side. Yeah. Who can see it from different angles. Totally. You have a very, you know, balanced perspective. What, you know, what is, the, you, you get to decide. Yeah. What I, what I think is the best course of action is for U.S. soccer. By the way, they're a nonprofit. I mentioned that. They've, they're sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not like they're poor. It's not like they don't have the money. Right. Um, and, and they've done truly a lot of good for the game. They've grown the game. But this is a, 
a way in which that they are holding the game back because the potential for growth is so vast. So for me, in a perfect world, I think that they just straight up pay the women and the men the same, period, end of story. And it doesn't matter if the men make the, the FIFA World Cup and they get a huge mm-hmm. bonus for, 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 from FIFA. It doesn't matter if a team or a, a company wants to sign up and, and only invest and, and give money to the women's program. There needs to be some sort of equality because a win for our women's national team in this lawsuit, um, in this idea, in this equal pay fight, is a win for women everywhere because what the women do is it actually gives life to possibility mm-hmm. and it brings women into more of their power and it's like oh if they can do that right it's if you can see it then right. you can maybe be it in your own life in your own way i love it yeah. all right um i want to go somewhere and then maybe we'll come back to this cool. what what is what is the next mountain for you the next mountain not hill mountain yeah i don't i don't do hills hills are boring you know, I have been married for a couple of years now, almost three years in May. Um, this thing with parenting has been so fun and so interesting and has taught me more about life than anything else has ever. And how old are your kids? 16, 13, and 11. Mm. Yeah. So my wife had three children in her previous marriage. Right. And so I became like insta mom, which was totally bizarre but yeah this parenting thing is so cool and what i've learned the most what has been the most profound experience for me is you know being raised in a catholic family being the youngest provided me a lot of opportunity for child trauma right all of us have child trauma (laughs) i was raised catholic yeah and um and so being a young gay kid it was just like it was really rough for me and has given me a lot of things to overcome having children has been the most beautiful and profound experience for me because I get to chi- I get to parent my own childhood traumas. Huh. I get to reparent myself. Huh. Um, and that has really done such a wonder for my psyche mm-hmm. and for my awareness. Um, and quite honestly, it has allowed me to forgive mm-hmm. my mom for some of the, the issues that I was you know dealing with and have been dealing with my whole life. Um, that is the mountain I'm I'm climbing right now is parenthood, and that it, it's the hardest one I think that I'll ever do. Um, but in terms of business, you know, I really love the idea of of taking a group of people from where we are and taking us to where we ought to be. Mm. Doesn't mean that I get to be the one that decides of where we ought to be, right? we all have to collectively you know the 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 old school form of leadership is one leader getting in front of their group of people they're leading and saying this is what we're going to do let's go do it now the best leaders in the world that i know are the ones that get the smartest people in the room and all of us collectively figure out how the hell and what the hell we're going to go do in the right and the most efficient way possible Mm. and that's the kind of stuff that's exciting to me is um i don't know trying to change the world in specific ways, trying to change corporate culture, trying to bring life and and um, diversity and justice and equality to the decisions, the tables where decisions are made for the big corporate corporate engines that in a lot of ways run the world. I can go in a bunch of places here, so I'm gonna kind of be disciplined. First on, on parenting, um, I have a, an 18 and a 16, and uh, my kids were adopted Bless at birth. You. And 
I like you, I have learned more about myself through this journey in 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 a painful way mm. um, with a lot of help, but in the most beautiful way as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, this ability to grow mm-hmm. even, you know, at my age has been a beautiful gift that my kids have given me. But I also now recognize that they're really not your kids. Mm. They're only with you for a period of time. You will always be their parent, but they are their own person. Mm-hmm. And as they get to 18, and yeah. this is like, oh no, yeah. right? So this mountain that you're climbing has an end. This is not the real mountain. And, uh, and the second comment for you in, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe things happen for a reason. I believe we find reason in the things that happen, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, it is complete BS that you never got paid Mm-hmm. what other elite male athletes got paid that were as you know impactful as you were yeah. but maybe that is the purpose yeah right in you know given you know your experience and i've been really impressed with you know your thoughtfulness on all this stuff there's another chapter of greatness here that is mm. there for you to discover that's sweet and for you to uncover no and as i'm not being sweet i'm being honest oh, thank right? you for being and honest. you have to find it and it may take you years yeah but what I love about business is this is a sport for non-athletes. Mm-hmm. The only difference, the only difference in business is that there is no final game. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of an infinite game. Mm-hmm. And it's a game that you keep playing and playing and playing as part of a team. And totally. you, you got to figure that one out. And right? figuring out, it's interesting for you, I think, about how to define what winning means. And how, as an athlete, you know, I know that a lot of um, businesses try to find former athletes right. because we like winning and um, redefining what winning means in the business world is so it's so much more complicated than the the black and whiteness of a soccer game right you either know who wins and you know who loses right, right. Um, but I think it's important that when we talk about winning and I think that you're assessment is right i think that winning is is a confusing thing in business and as a leader it's one of the most important things to try to define for the people that are that you're trying to lead um and for me of course i think that my best days are ahead of me i think you know my wife has been pounding into my head because i i played soccer for so long that i thought that oh soccer made me special my wife is like, no, baby, everything that you brought to the game of soccer made soccer special. And you get to bring yourself everywhere you go. Right, and that's just right. the way the world works. So I'm sending you this book. So Simon Sinek just published it. He's a, a dear friend and he's terrific. I love, I love his, his writing. So he literally, it's, you know, is this notion that for you is kind of reformatting your thinking from, okay, there's a, there's a gold medal to be won. There's a champion to be won. There's yeah. a record. Business is a sport where the name of the game is to play the next game. Right. Right. But you get to be part of the same team. You get to align. You get to go to battle. You get to do all the things that you love being. So good. Uh, at, at all of What's that. What's next? So I love that. I'm sending you the book. Please. So, listen, this has been a ton of fun. There's same. so much more things I want to cover, but I know you got to take a flight out, and I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you for having me, and I watched you speak to your people earlier. And I must say, not often enough do leaders and CEOs that happen to be men get up on stage and make themselves vulnerable and show their heart in a way that um, it made me feel really proud not to only be here and do this work with you, 
but it made me feel really excited for the people around you because there's no greater model than um, a man stepping into his full power. Uh, and so often vulnerability is one of those emotions that, that men steer away from, but in fact, it's actually where all their power can live. So I saw it, I just want to acknowledge it. And um, well, thank you for the sweetness awesome. back and you know, it's working I'm not progress. being sweet, <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right, have a safe flight home. Thanks for having me. So here are the three things I took away from my conversation with Abby, which by the way, I did not want it to end. Number one is her realization that soccer did not make her special, but it was everything that she brought to soccer that made it all special. That is a healthy perspective that we can bring to everything we do in life. Number two was her take on failures. For her, they were just a reminder that she was on the journey onto something bigger. Attaching herself to the time she felt most human was her ultimate motivator. And number three, and something we've heard about others in this series, is the mindset of a champion. Is that ability to give everything they got every single time and then keep asking, what else is there? Perhaps there's a peak, perhaps there's not. But champions never stop trying to reach it. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>